Good morning, Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. Is God with us? Amen. Hey, I just got to say, that connection card, I'm so thankful that every week we're going to have a chance for you guys to fill that out because remember, this thing that we're doing right now, we're not going to the movies. We're not sitting in an audience as attenders. We are called to be the body of Christ. We're called to be the family of God. And small things like connection cards helps us do that. It helps us know how to pray for you. It helps us know how to know you better and how to get you connected with God's church here in Graham. So I just want to encourage you in that. And I also want to use that just as a segue for our prayer this morning that remember, we are one church even though we meet in two services. That you have a whole other section of church family that they're going to meet and go through the same service in an hour from now. I want us to pray for our church family in the second service. As we get ready to open up God's word, let's remember that we are one church, we are one church family, and let's pray for those people that will come during second service, that they will be blessed as well uh, by what happens here this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you say in your word that there is one spirit, one baptism, and one body, Lord. And Lord, we proclaim that back to you because we trust that there is only one way to salvation and only one head over this body, which is your son, Jesus Christ. He's the reason why we're here. He's the reason why we sing, Lord. He's the reason why we want to open up the word that you've given us so that we can know you better by knowing him better. Heavenly Father, we think of our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we may go to home group with or Bible study with. We may have kids who play together and know each other who will be in the second service. Lord, we pray for our church family in the second service that they will be blessed, that they will be built up and rooted in you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, also we pray the same thing for ourselves here this morning. Use your word to build your church, Lord. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you see a table of contents, you've gone too far. Flip back over a couple of pages. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, is a very familiar verse that you will recognize. It is the verse where Eve responds to the serpent in the garden. Moments before we see sin entering the world. It says that the serpent in the previous verses was more crafty than the other animals. And he asked the woman in verse 2, Uh, And he asked her in verse 1, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 2, we see that the woman responds. And look in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 3 of what Eve has to say. She responds to the serpent by saying this. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Look at the page right before, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Look at what God actually told Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 17, 
compared to what Eve says in chapter 3, verse 3. God says in Genesis 2.17, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Period. For on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you see what Eve did there? She added on to what God had commanded. She gave her own interpretation of the word of the Lord, put her faith not just in what God had said, but also in what God had said in addition to how she understood it. And that was the thing that the serpent used to gain a foothold to deceive her. She had decided to add to what God had commanded in his word, to trust in her own interpretation versus the interpretation that God had given. I want each and every one of you to evaluate your own heart and your own life to uh, ask yourself whether or not you have done the same thing. Are there beliefs or traditions, are there viewpoints or followings in your life that you have embraced supposing that they are Christian, assuming that they are biblical because you see all your other Christian friends doing it, because you hear about it on Christian radio, because you see it on the Christian YouTube channels, without ever actually checking to see whether or not it is actually commanded by God in Scripture. I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 this morning, because Paul is going to address the very mistake that Eve made when sin entered the world, and by no coincidence, the same mistake that we as sinners, even saved sinners, are very susceptible to making in our own life. Following after ideas that may sound biblical, but are not truly biblical. Embracing beliefs that are popular on this earth, but not directed by God himself. Paul is going to address that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where he gives, believe this or not, he gives only the second command in the entire letter. This is only the second time in all of Colossians that Paul actually uses an imperative where he actually tells the Colossians to do something. Every sermon that we've had, every verse that we've looked at in Colossians up to this point has been purely descriptive. Paul describing who he is and what he's done, describing who Christ is and what Christ has done. And we don't see a single command until we get to Colossians chapter 2, where Paul commands his people in verse 6 to walk in Jesus Christ. That just as they had received Christ, Paul tells them to walk in Christ. You'll remember that verse 6 we call the thesis of the entire letter. Well, that's part of the reason why. This is the first time that Paul gives a command to the Colossians, saying this is what you must do. To walk in him. That's the first command. But in verse 8, and as we're going to see through the rest of Colossians, he's going to give a lot of commands. He's going to give a lot of imperatives. The second command in the entire letter takes place in verse 8, where he tells the Colossians, 
what God is also telling us here at Graham this morning, which is to watch out. To watch out. Look at where verse 8 has to say. Paul says, see to it. That's the command there. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Our big idea for this morning, what Paul is commanding the Colossians to know, is that following anything but Jesus is a scam. Following anything but Jesus is a scam. And the thing about scams is it's so hard to fight scamming in the United States because it's one of the least reported crimes. When people are scammed, they don't want to admit that they're scammed and tell other people. That's why scams are able to continue so much. There's a good chance a large majority of you have even at one point or another been scammed by something. And I wouldn't know about it. The rest of us wouldn't know about it because why would you want to share that? It's very possible that the same is true for you spiritually that you have embraced ideas that you assumed were biblical, that sounded Christian, but were not actually derived from Christ, and that you also have been spiritually scammed. For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to walk through this verse and look specifically at three reasons why Paul wants us to watch out for the scams that may draw us away from Christ. And how he defines those. And my hope is that this morning, by looking at these examples of things that draw us away from Christ, we won't just use this morning as a punching bag to talk about the secular world and the obvious ways that we know that unsaved people turn away from Christ, but that we will have the courage to look inward instead of outward and reflect on how maybe we ourselves are making these same mistakes. So point number one is this, when Paul says that following anything but Jesus is a scam, the first point that we need to know is that anything not based on Christ is empty. Let's look at the beginning of verse 8, where Paul says, see to it, or watch out would be another way to understand it. Notice how his warning at the beginning of verse 8 is not based on watching out for false teaching, but specifically to watch out for false teachers. Notice how he puts the emphasis on the Colossians needing to be uh, bewaring of people. That it's not necessarily just the teaching that is dangerous, but that there is always a person behind the teaching. That what you decide to believe in will always determine who you decide to bow down to. So because of that, Paul says to watch out lest no one, no person, takes you captive. This word take captive could be understood many different ways. You could understand it like being mugged by being physically overtaken so that people would steal from you. You could understand this word as being kidnapped or being looted. In fact, even when uh, Daniel and his friends were kidnapped 
out of Judah. The way that it's described is that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he looted the palace of its treasures, and he even looted the country of its treasures, uh, of its men, that they were taken captive. They were stolen, which is why the big idea uses that word scam, because that's the idea that Paul is getting across, that when you choose to follow anything but Christ, you are actually being taken captive by someone other than Christ. That if we are Christians, we want to be captivated by Christ, but if we're allowing ourselves to follow ideas that are not from him, we are actually being captured by an imposter. That's what Paul's saying here. And these thoughts, by the way, that I'm giving you to open up this verse, I believe there's a heading in your notes for general. General notes, feel free to use that space. All of this is leading up to this first point that anything not based on Christ is empty, just like if you buy something on Amazon. I remember once buying a jersey off of Amazon that happened to be shipped from China. And when I got the jersey, it wasn't an NFL jersey. It was a cheap t-shirt with some bad logos printed on it. it. It was a scam. It was empty. And in the same way, Paul is saying that any idea that does not come from Christ, he calls it philosophy and empty deceit or empty deception is how he portrays it. Notice the contrast in Paul calling these ideas empty. You might remember that in the verses leading up to this, Paul was repeatedly referring to the fact that Christ was fool, that he had the fullness. If you look in your Bible at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, look at how Paul describes Christ. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That wasn't by accident. He's building up an argument here. He says that in Christ there's substance, there's fullness, there's richness, there's weight. Like when you buy something, you buy a tool, men, and it's, and it's light, it's not heavy. You know that it's cheap, it's likely to break more easily. You want something that's heavy, that has fullness. Paul says that Christ has all the fullness of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Remember when Paul describes Christ as being the storehouse of all treasures? It says that in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is emphasizing that Christ is full, that in Christ there's substance, there's value, but that everything else is hollow and shallow and cheap and empty. This is similar to what Paul had to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. He uses very similar language. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. That word empty is not being spoken by accident. He's contrasting it with Christ. But look at how he calls it philosophy. Do you notice specifically where he says, let no one take you captive by empty deception and philosophy? The word philosophy is made up of two Greek words that means love of wisdom. Love of wisdom is what philosophy means. It's good for Christians to love wisdom. Christians can absolutely study philosophy. Wisdom comes from God. Therefore, it would make sense that we would want to study that which comes from God. But the philosophy that Paul is talking about here was a love of wisdom that was not from God. 
philosophy in this Roman Empire referred to the Greek philosophy of that day. Groups of men called Stoics and Epicureans. You see that I put a verse here, actually, Acts 17, that mentions examples of these philosophers that existed in Paul's day. These Roman and Greek men who they tried to tell people that the way uh, to, to be fully actualized, the way to be happy, the way to be saved was by embracing not just any knowledge, not just any wisdom, but their own brand of wisdom. Believe in this, the Stoics may tell you, and follow me. It would be impossible to embrace a philosophy without also becoming a follower of the philosopher. So when Paul talks about philosophy and empty deceit, it's not that if you homeschool your kids, you can't teach them any philosophy. It's not like the word philosophy is inherently bad because all truth is God's truth. God made wisdom. But what is wrong is looking for wisdom in any place other than Christ himself. Seeking wisdom to build yourself up rather than looking to Christ to be built up and rooted in him. That's what Paul's referring to. But also be aware that just as much as we're talking about Gentile philosophy, that in, first, in the first century Judaism, that even the Jews would refer to their beliefs as philosophy. There was a man named Josephus. He was a Jew that lived uh, near the time of the writing of the New Testament. He would refer to Jewish beliefs as the Jewish philosophy. So understand the word that Paul is using here as a broad brushstroke of all human ideas. You go into any bookstore and you are going to be overtaken with a torrent of ideas. Embrace this uh, philosophy. Follow these five steps. Learn to do more of this, more to do less of that. Make your bed every day. Do this, do that. All these different ideas that people are trying to use to convince you to follow them and to have what only can be had in Christ. Paul makes it very clear that these things, even if they may contain some truths, are ultimately going to lead you empty because they come from a source other than God. They come from man. So reflect on the fact that there may be things that you are following in life that may be nice, that they may be uh, helpful in some degree, but in light of eternity, they have no weight to them. That's what Paul's saying here in the first point where he says philosophy and empty deceit is empty compared to Christ. Let's go to our second point. Our second point says this in verse 8, that anything based on human ideas is empty. What Paul's going to do now for the rest of verse 8 is he's going to describe the philosophy and empty deceit that he's referring to. He's going to help give a roadmap for the Colossians to better understand and identify what qualifies as philosophy and empty deceit that might take them captive. He's going to use this word called according. You're going to see according appear multiple times in verse 8. And we're going to walk through all three instances of that word according. And point number two is going to take us to the first one, where he says that these empty ideas are according to human tradition. That anything based on human ideas 
things that are passed down from human to human is empty. This is similar to what Jesus had to say in Mark chapter 7, verse 8. When he would talk to the Pharisees, he referred to their beliefs as tradition. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, as well as verse 9. You see that he refers to their tradition. And remember, the Jews were people who had received the word of God. They had received the law. They were God's chosen people. They still are God's chosen people. Yet Jesus made it clear when talking to the Pharisees that these ideas that they were trying to instill amongst other Jews was not based on God's word, but according to their own Pharisaical traditions. I've told you guys before about how I recently had the chance to speak with Mormons about the faith. And I have to admit, a situation like that is just so incredibly sad because as we're looking at God's word, as we're talking about what God's word has to say, the question came up, I asked them, what made you become a Mormon in the first place? What convinced you? What did you hear? What did you read that made you decide, I'm going to become a Mormon? And they both said the same thing, which is what most Mormons will tell you. I grew up in the Mormon faith. My parents were Mormons. I've gone to this church all my life. That no matter how much I can open the Bible and put it in front of their eyes, they have years and years and years of emotional bond to a tradition that they have received. That if I'm wrong, then that means my grandmother was wrong. And my great-grandmother was wrong, and my dad was wrong, and my grandfather was wrong, and, and, and my pastor was wrong, and, and my friends were wrong. This idea of tradition, this idea of something that is passed down can be very dangerous because it's tempting to want to follow something because we see other people following it. It's tempting to want to believe something because those whom we love also believe it. Many of you, maybe you can relate to this with the Roman Catholic faith. How hard it was to break away from that because that's how you were raised. You remember the love of how that was passed down, uh, of how cherished that love was, but only to realize that as well-intentioned as it may have been, as, as loving as it may have been, it just didn't accord to God's word. That's a brave and courageous thing to do, but it's also a necessary thing to do. That Paul says to watch out for this empty deceit in this philosophy that is based on the tradition of what is passed down from one person to another. Just because it's based on tradition, just because your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather all happen to believe it, that does not make it true. Just because all the other parents at your co-op believe it, just because all the other people at your workplace believe it, does not make it true. Be careful of the YouTube channels and the podcasts and the blogs and all the different ideas that you see from your community that people say, check this out. Everyone's listening to it. Everyone's watching it. It's so exciting. It's so compelling. Always, always evaluate it with yes, but does it accord with God's word? Or is it just another tradition, another thing that is passed along from one person to the next? Let's go to our third point. Paul continues to describe what this empty deceit is. He starts out by saying that it's according to human tradition. But then he also goes on to say in the rest of verse 8, 
that it is according to this phrase called the elemental spirits of the world. Your translation might say the elemental principles of the world. And that brings us to our third point, which is just like anything based on human ideas or tradition is empty, then in the same way, our third point, anything based on earthly rituals is empty. Maybe you could put in that word physical. Anything based on physical rituals is empty. Let's talk about this word or this phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. It's such a debated phrase. It's a phrase that we struggle to understand exactly what Paul is referring to. He uses it also in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, he also talks about the elemental spirits or the elemental principles of the world. What is he referring to? If you read 10 different commentaries, you're going to get 10 different answers. But they all tend to hover around the same basic themes. One understanding of the elemental principles of the world is, I think, the safest bet, which is this. It was a word that was used by the Greeks and the Romans outside of Scripture to refer to the very elements of the building blocks of the universe. So, water, earth, wind, fire, not the musical group, but the actual, you know, uh, elements. You guys said I didn't know about those guys. Um, Uh, Yeah, water, earth, wind, fire, these actual physical building blocks of the universe could be understood here as the elemental principles of the world. Another way that this phrase is understood is that it could be referring specifically to actual deities, angels and demons, that sometimes that word principle, uh, in the ESV they translate it as spirit, which shows kind of how they're defining this verse, that sometimes you've heard the word principalities and powers. Principalities will often refer to angels and demons. It comes from this same word. And they'll say, but that the elemental principles of the world, world or the elemental spirits of the world are referring to these angels and demons or maybe even uh, Greek mythology, these um, so-called believed-in gods and goddesses who all represent different things like earth and wind and fire that it could possibly be that. But it could also mean this, that when Paul talks about the elementary principles of the world, he's also just talking about the basic ways that religion tends to function. The basic rules of thumb that occur in all different forms of religion. Similar to when Paul wrote to Christians saying that you need to move on to meat because you're still on milk, that they're still on these basic elementary principles. How should we understand it this morning? I think there's a common denominator under all of this. That even though there are literally hundreds of religions in the world today, and there have been thousands of iterations of man-made religion throughout human history, all man-made religions, all human ideas, All philosophies, all traditions, they all tend to have the same two mistakes in common. They all tend to be focused on created things rather than the creator. 
All false religion, all false ideas tends to put a focus on created things. The God of the moon, the God of the harvest, the God of the mountain, rather than on the creator. And the second mistake is that all ideas, all religions, all practices that are not in Christ tend to focus on you doing something yourself in order for you to be like the gods. Do this and you'll make them happy. Do this and you'll become one of them. Do this and you'll live where they live. Do this and they'll let you live forever. Do, 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 do. All focused on what you have to accomplish. All religions, all ideas basically boil down to those two mistakes. Focusing on the created and focusing on yourself. Use that to evaluate the things that you believe. It's amazing. Every time I go to Mount Rainier, how many people are following uh, under this empty deceit and philosophy of, oh, look how beautiful the mountain is. Oh, it's healing to me. Oh, I just need to go out and I, and I need to be in nature more and I need to go out and experience this more because it's going to, it's going to make me better. It's going to purify me. It's going to make me whole. That's empty. It is empty. Today we have literally an endemic of teenagers who feel empty inside being told that the way that they can feel full is by changing their gender, by identifying as something other than how God created them. And those people, no matter how many surgeries, no matter how much makeup, no matter how many different clothes they use to change God's design in them, they go to the other side and they realize that they're still empty because they're embracing something that is not from Christ himself. Earthly rituals, physical, focused on themselves and not on God. And that's how Paul wraps up verse 8, where he says that these things are according to human tradition, according to the elemental uh, spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. If you are governing your life according to any belief system, any idea, any podcast, any blog, any book that is not directly according to the words of Christ, you are being scammed. And you may not even realize it. You are being scammed by someone who wants to make something off of you. They want you to buy his book, subscribe to his podcast, follow his tribe. Do not be taken captive by them. Be taken captive by Christ. Because the thing that you believe will determine the thing that you bow down to. Or better yet, the person that you bow down to. So as we end, what does it look like for us as Christians to govern our lives according to Christ and not according to philosophy and empty deceit? What does that look like? The best way to live your life according to Christ is two ways according to his word, and according to his body, the church. We've talked about it before. The Bible associates Christ with God's word. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 1, where Jesus is called the word. You cannot live a life that is according to Christ without living a life that is not seeking God's word and submitting to it. And the second way that we live a life that is truly according to Christ is by prioritizing 
his church, prioritizing his local body. Homeschool, private school, public school, what's the answer? Making Christ central in your home is the answer. Do I go to this college? Do I go to that college? Do we do this? Do we do that? Make Christ the center of your home. Make church a priority in your home. Make God's word a priority in your home. Make church and God's word a priority in your marriage. Make church and God's word a priority in your personal life. Because by being exposed to God's word and God's people, you are being exposed to God's Messiah, which is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Do not fall even for these so-called Christian thought influencers or social media leaders who have ideas that are so attractive, so popular, maybe even amongst your Christian friends. Seek Christ in his word. Seek Christ amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ and prioritize Christ in his word alone in everything that you do. Let's pray, church family. Heavenly Father, may you give us discernment by your spirit to evaluate everything around us, including what's on our laptops and our cell phones, including what we hear at our small group, our Bible study, our social circles, that we will always turn and ask, what does your word say? What does your word say? Lord, may you equip us by your spirit through your word to live lives that are worthy of you to walk in you in the same way that we have received you and give us wisdom, give us a love for wisdom that comes from you and you alone, Lord. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, thank you, church family. Say hi to those second service people as they come in. Go in peace.